is Tan Talk, entertaining and informative radio for the Sunshine State. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car's been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. is your game, if a drag is your bag, if you love horsepower, smoke, and speed in a safe, controlled atmosphere, then you've come to the right place. Performance on the line. Drag racing is a uniquely American sport, started at the end of World War II by several Southern California communities, primarily to provide a safe alternative to street racing. Drag strips provide a safe, controlled environment for healthy competition. Now, this American sport has spread all over the world, to Australia, England, Canada, West Germany, to all people who love cars. got competition off the street onto the strip and all kinds of spectators into the stands. It did something else. It blossomed into an enormous sport with 20 million annual spectators, some 800 officially sanctioned drag strips, and no one knows how many drivers. They're all here. Professionals. Amateurs. Rails. Honey cars. Super stocks and street machines. And they gathered early. Orange County Raceway is where it's at, one of the finest strips in the nation. This could be you getting the latest hot setup for your machine from four drag team members able to share in the successes and failures. Seems like fence racing is half of the fun. After all, it's the going thing. You're right in the heart of the action in drag racing. Ford has let the drag racing world know that it's really here. And now... Hey, Rocky, watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat. Again? Nothing up my sleeve. Presto! <laughs> no doubt about it. I gotta get another hat. Now here's something we hope you'll really like. Hi, this is Dave McClellan, the voice of NHRA. You're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars.
Okay, listeners, welcome. You're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers at Google, tantalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, golfstreetmotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you've missed any of our past 610 shows, you can go to our archive page, nostalgicradioncars.com. Good evening, Bobby. How are you? I'm doing well. Well, there's nothing like the mad scramble. You know, I had a whole bunch of stuff to do today, and I was still in the studio, in the support studio, producing stuff for this show, the sound effects. So I don't know if you can find those, Bobby, if you can get that, we'll play that sound effect a little bit later. But we got a real interesting guy. We have a Ford racing legend coming on our show this evening. We're trying to get this gentleman on for a while, so I'm really excited about that. You know me, I'm a Ford guy, so, you know, just a humble little Ford guy that likes Ford race cars, you know, drag race cars, road race cars, you know, street cars, all that kind of stuff, classic cars. Anyway, uh, shout out to my friends over there at Adventure Classic Cars in uh, Clearwater. I was just over there this afternoon checking out some cars. I had a customer of mine in California, no, in uh, Arizona, I looking for a car, and they had a real nice, they got some nice cars in there. They had a uh, 70 GTO in there, four-speed car. Apparently, it was a local car. I didn't even know about it. Nice little car. It's that green, you know, that apple color green, which Ford had and General Motors had. And uh, I think Chrysler even had something similar to it. But anyway, nice looking car. Four-speed. Got to have a four-speed. I cannot overemphasize that four-speed cars bring a 25 to 30% premium. I also stopped at the Ferrari dealership because I'm working on some uh, possible possible appraisals on Forces and Ferraris. And I got to tell you, I walked into the Porsche dealership. Every car sold. If you want a car, you got to wait. Walked in a Ferrari dealership, every car sold. And, you know, you walk into a Toyota store, a Kia store, or something like that, it seems like they got a surplus of cars. There's a lot of cars out there. But the market is just really, really, really wacky. I mean, nobody can explain it. I stopped in uh, to a repair shop, European repair shop, right down the street here on Myrtle Avenue. And maybe if I dig in my pocket here, I can probably find the card. We'll give them a little shout-out, too. But uh, they had Gulf Coast European Automotive. They're right over here on Myrtle Avenue. And he had a whole bunch of cars in there. And these cars, like we talk about from time to time on the show, are just getting so sophisticated. And there's just so much stuff on it. If you can afford a late model car and you can afford to find it, lease it, you know, whatever, and keep it while it's under warranty, you're in good shape. But you get these cars that are, you know, mid-2000, like 9, 10, 11, 12. Uh, the earlier cars, you can't get parts for them half the time. You know, we have this so-called supply chain issue. But there's a lot of stuff that's just not available for these cars, you know. So it's really, really frustrating because I've been approached here quite a bit in the last couple of weeks. You know, people want to find cars. Well, the auctions are charging tremendous amounts of fees. And uh, and the supply of cars are not really there because what a lot of the dealers are doing is they have second and third car, th- second and third tier um car lots so they've taken their trip since cars are getting difficult to get for whatever reason we know but the so what they're doing is they're not apt to wholesale cars like they used to unless they're just complete turds and then you'll get them but even in that case they'll have a secondary lot so uh you know 60 to uh, 100,000 mile cars and then a third tier lot which is over 100,000 to 200,000 mile cars and it's just amazing that people actually buy 180 190 200,000 mile cars now i get it with classics Sometimes you can do that. You know, mileage is irrelevant on a classic if it's a real popular car. But on newer cars, you know, in the old days, if you had 62,000, 63,000 miles on the car, you were due for an engine rebuild. But, you know, they build things a little bit, uh, in some cases, better, okay, so they may last longer and they get decent mileage provided you maintain them and turn, change the oil and all that other good stuff. But um, the cars are so, so there's just too much electronics in them. You know, I was looking at the new, I was at the Ford dealership today, as a matter of fact, and uh, our good friends over there at Walker Ford. 
And I was looking, just glancing, glancing at some of the new cars, that thing they call a Mustang Mach-E, which it, they should just call it something E, but maybe Mach-E. E-scape. Yeah, <laughs> E-scape, about- yeah, yeah. But, you know... But you, you, you and, and, and same thing with the Ford uh, Expedition and the and, and all the new cars. You look, you peek in there, and there's this giant screen in the middle, and that just bogs my mind. It's like this computer I have sitting over here. So you get in the car. You talk about distractions. I would think, I'm Bobby. You tell me. You get in the car. I want to focus on driving. I mean, it's bad enough that sometimes I get caught at a traffic light texting real quick or responding to somebody, or which I try not to do. Um, at a traffic light, you know, or I generally I pull over if I find a parking spot or something like that, or in a median gas you know, stations, gas like yeah, anything like that. I try not to, you know. But you know, we're cool. so into all this stuff nowadays. It's just it's just distraction after distraction, and not to mention that the cars get to the point where oh, it's autonomous, it's this, it's that. You know, people are just relying on the technology and the cars and not paying attention to driving. And they were just talking today that r- at car crashes is up forty cent ten, ten times or ten percent. Ten percent over last year. Now, granted, we are ha- you know less, but over the time when there were less people on the road. But uh, multi car is uh, which is which is usually a distracted driving. Well, type look thing. at this morning when we were coming here to the studio. Well, you saw that wreck up there on on mm-hmm. uh, on uh, uh, Countryside Golf Boulevard. Ba- yeah, Countryside Boulevard. Yeah, there was uh, two cars there, you know, and it's just that's two more or than one car is a multi car accident. Okay, but anyway, but, and but a lot of those are distraction related, and you know, initially when they did all this infotainment stuff. It was, you know, air conditioning wasn't a part of it. You know, the AC control, stuff like that. It was just radio, navigation, maps, whatever. And you had controls on the steering wheel that could do basically everything so you didn't have to look over there if you wanted to change the channel and stuff like that. Well, now it's going to where everything in, you know, I mean, Apple CarPlay, there are some benefits to it in Android Auto, but, you know... Somebody looking at a message preview over there is not something that belongs on a, uh, on yeah, a car, in your car while in you're your driving because it's gonna it's it's it is no different than than if you got a 2000 Ford Excursion and you buy one of them things that stick on the windshield that holds your phone up there it's the same same thing. <laughs> well, listen, hey, well, I'm on the interstate a lot, you know, so, and, and when I do drive a truck, because I drive a truck or an excursion or something, I sit up high, and I will not, I cannot tell you how many times I've seen this at night. You know, you drive down the road, and the guy's got this big flash of light in his face. That's because he's watching his TV, his screen. He's watching a movie. I can see this because I sit up high, and he's not even paying attention to the road. You see him wandering. And then they're in the left lane, diddy bopping. Now, I, the left lane is for speeding or passing or, you know, just... You know, reckless driving. I don't know. I don't care. But anyway, it's just, you know, it's it's the go fast lane. You know, not for the guy that's lollygagging on his phone because he's got nothing else to do and he's on the parkway and he's just slumped over in his seat and he's, you know. Spe- and, speaking of the parkway. Yep. Uh, this is why I said on Bill's show that, that they, there should be a, a flashing light or some sort of light on a, when a Tesla or whatever is in autonomous mode because I never had any idea until one day I was... Driving a rollback down the, down the parkway, and I could finally see in there and see that that the driver was not in an autonomous mode, but was texting while driving. So I think you shouldn't be. I think we have the right to know the difference. Absolutely. Know when, when we're when it's you know when there's a computer controlling the car and when there's somebody staring at a computer controlling the car. Well, that this this whole debate is a good rant for when we need to get uh, Lauren Fix back on, our, back on our show because she's got all kinds of stories about this kind of stuff. So, but what we're going to do is we're going to have a real fun story today uh, show with a guest coming on. We're going to be talking about the good old days of drag racing, 
and particularly Ford drag racing out of the 60s and 70s. And, uh, and, and, and it's a human interest story. So this gentleman's really cool, and we're looking forward to having him on the show. Bobby, why don't you go ahead and queue up uh, what do we got on the, on the turntable there? We will be... Or do we want to do a couple you know, shout-outs? I mean, you know the, what? This song is perfect for our shout-out because Spin Out is the, the bed behind flacarshows.com promo. There you go. So flacarshows.com is the place to go to find a car show no matter where which direction you're facing in the state of Florida you can find a show there yeah I'm trying to find Seafoam on Seafoam. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Don't forget our good friends at Seafoam, because now we've been we've been kind of tinkering with the Seafoam thing on, on one of our 400 and how many thousand miles on that thing? That uh, truck? 428,000. So we, we have a 99 Ford truck that's F-250 diesel four-wheel drive that's got 429,000 miles. Some little rat we took in on trade, but it's going to be kind of cool when we get done with it. And then our car's our other excursion. Which is 329,000 miles. miles, And we seafoam the living daylights out of both those things. So I got to tell you, seafoam in a diesel application, without a doubt, works. Of course, you've been using some of the other seafoam products, right? Yes, yes. So their uh, interior and exterior detail products are very good. And the Bug Be Gone, there's a lot of bug products out there. And not all of them you can say great things about. But this stuff... If you, you spray a little bit of that on there before a rainstorm or something, you will have a lot easier time washing your car after love bug season. I will say that. Okay, what was the other stuff you used on there? You said to get the, the green stuff off the side of the truck? Oh, yeah, yes. It gets the algae off the side if the car, car camper's been sitting for a while under yes. a tree. All right. Well, anyway, on that note, we're going to go ahead and get our guests on the phone here. Bobby's going to... Right, we just got uh, rudely interrupted here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the phone just rang. But uh, so, yeah. So, like I said, we got these big screens and these TVs and all this kind of goofy stuff going on in these cars nowadays. And it's just like, wow. You know, I, I the thing that we were just talking about this the other day is these older cars. And, uh, you know, they're just simple. I mean, there's a lot of cars out of the... 70s and 80s that you can kind of retro up do retro upgrades and make them so that they're dri- reliable drivable cars every day and you can still have fun with them still get parts and you know I, like i always tell people i said your car is an extension of your personality so you know drive something that kind of puts a big smile on your face and makes you happy and obviously if you need something a commuter to get you from point a to point b well then uh we have a 2017 Ford Focus for you, don't we, Bobby? We do, and 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 that's the kind of cars I'm talking about. It's 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 borderline, but there is there is you can still there's a, not enough just too much distraction that you're like not focused on the road. You're still you're still you know you have things to assist you on the steering wheel to help you change the radio channel, change your Sirius XM channel, whatever the case, whatever you're trying to do. But now we're getting to this. Where's the, you know, there's the knobs and then let's, you know, not even get on the whole uh, dial shifter thing. But anyway. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. So go ahead. Let's fire up the stereo real quick and let's give our guest a call. And you're tuning into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Don't touch that dial because we will be right back with our very special guest for the evening, a legend. When a motor's warm and she's purring sweet, but it let me warn you, you're on a one-way street. She'll crowd your clothes, spin your wheels, then you're gonna know how it feels to spin out. Yeah. Spin out. Better watch those curves. Never let her steer. If she can shake your nerves, boy, then she can strip your gears. 
She'll get your heart going fast Then she'll let you run out of gas so Spread out Spread out really score Never saw parts move or like that before To flag you down That's a goal Scoot before you lose control Let's spin out Let's spin out Hi, this is Etzel Ford with the Ford Motor Company, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Enjoy the show. Okay, we're back into tune into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. It's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. This gentleman is legendary in the world of Ford racing. He's also been involved in aviation and a number of other uh, interesting things, and he's got a book out right now. And uh, I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening, Al Joniak. Al, how are you this evening? Very good, Robert. Nice to, uh, being invited to your show. It's very nice. Thank you. Great, great, great. So why don't you give us a little background history? I was reading your bio, or the paper, the articles that uh, um, um, were uh, uh, provided to me. And uh, so it's real interesting that uh, you started out, you know, with an old Ford flathead, and you've kind of stuck with Ford through thick and thin. And see, that, that's me too. I mean, you know, win, lose, or draw, I bleed Ford blue. I'm a Ford guy. So, in fact, it was interesting. We had Jack Telnock. Telnak, who's uh, one of the who's uh, head of Ford Global Design for a number of years, and he says, "When I was born, sure. there was a Ford logo tattooed or stamped, branded on my butt." I'm a Ford guy, so that's we're all on the same page there. That's true. All right, <clears throat> that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, my my, um, I guess it started out when uh, I, I asked an old grizzly mechanic a long time ago. It was in his, uh, I can still see him today, 50-some uh, years later. In my mind, he, he was in a um, uh, herringbone coveralls with a cap on him. I said, how does the motor work? I said to him. And he says, sock, squeeze, bang, blow. That's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> I said, oh, when I was fun. I, I'm 15 years old. I didn't know nothing, but I know I wanted to learn. And, and I, 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 I absolutely... Didn't know, I just couldn't understand what he said in my, in my, my logic. So I went to a, a, a library and I looked it up and it's, it's com- intake, compression, comp- power exhaust. exhaust. Yeah. I said, man, I was so smart. I learned a lot of stuff just by, by curiosity, you know? And, and so 
that really started my thirst for a uh, absolute passion that keeps going today. I'm uh, I'm still doing big time engine development work uh, with a guy down here who's uh, for 30 years been working together with uh, Abbey Performance, and um, we do a lot of uh, airplane engines with him. But I also help him with his race type uh, type engines. Uh, later on after i stopped racing you know cars per se but i helped him with his engines as well so it's basically um uh, it, i'm still involved up to my ears and, and all the latest technology i'm computer literate i do computer um uh programming for the um the double i do uh, double computer redundant systems for the airplane engines i make by the way my engines are airplane engines they're, they're car engines but they're in an airplane so uh, uh, the I, up until about six years ago, uh, the, I, we had the fastest V8 in the world, uh, approximately 432 mile an hour, uh, um, uh, and then the guys start going over 250 uh, and 450 rather, uh, and, uh, and, and uh, Bonneville, Bonneville is where, where the guys start going that fast with one engine. I was really surprised, but they actually made made the 200, I think. 400, excuse me, I keep saying too, 470 some mile an hour. <clears throat> one of the guys went in one direction. I, I thought that was fantastic. At any rate, that that knocks us out of the fastest V8 in the world. Uh, but uh, there's a there's a big deal, a, a total different discipline for airplanes because it's continuous power. It's a, it's a total discipline than regular engines and for race cars even. Race car engines don't do continuous power. Uh, they're basically on and off the throttle, and, and that's our, our drag races. They go for ten seconds. It's nothing compared to uh, the continuous power requirements for aircraft engines. Well, now let me ask you a question while we're on the subject of that. Okay, so continuous power. Yeah. Okay, so let's. I I'll, I'll draw an analogy here. Going down the autobahn right. from Munich to Berlin on the autobahn, I'm at mm-hmm. six thousand RPMs continuously, wide open. Hopefully, I have a car that's reliable. Now, when you talk about that, just like you said, drag racing, you're you know you're six seconds, five seconds, ten seconds, twelve seconds, whatever it might be. You know, road racing, you're on and off the gas. So, for continuous power to build an indent, uh, an engine, because that's basically an endurance engine. Okay, what are some of the tricks of the trade that you incorporate in those to make those engines reliable? And wh- what's the foundation of that motor? Well, it's it's actually a, a Chevrolet because they're part of the part pro, the so-called parts are so easy to get and they're so cheap. This Ford stuff is uh, not really available, and um, I don't care because an engine's an engine. Regarding uh, when you do aftermarket parts, a piston a piston doesn't know what hole it's running up and down in. You understand that? Right. Uh, it's it just basically uh, it, it's a uh, it's a big misnomer about uh, one engine over another. Is basically the head separates one engine from the other, but the piston the displacement is pretty much the constant with uh, uh, whatever displacement you pick. It's, the head makes a difference. Uh, having said that, the uh, engines for endurance are derated. Heat is power. Power is heat. So when you make more power, you make more heat. When you when you uh, take a uh, an engine that's, uh, say, weighs five, six hundred pounds, it takes about 10 to 20 minutes to thoroughly heat sink that engine completely to every to, to the to the middle of the valve core to, to the uh, top of the piston to whatever, whatever 
you have to remove the heat as fast as you make it, or you have detonation and you blow up. That's basically what it amounts to. Okay, so so you either berate it, you put it in a safe, what they call a BMEP, a break meat effective pressure of the engine that can tolerate. That's the load of the engine, uh, and it, and you start going over 250 BMEP, you start getting into trouble. Most engines are under 200, and basically that's really what you got to look at is what, what is the actual load of the engine and how long you're going to use it. For example, like in, in the Chevrolet engines, uh, small block, I put 3.8 valve guides in versus the 11 sixteenths because the 3.8 are bigger and gives me 40, 40 more percent area to cool the exhaust valve because that's the hottest part of the engine. You're talking about the hottest part of the engine is the exhaust bridge area, uh, especially in the turbo engines like I'm using in the airplanes. All that back pressure from the turbines are basically always, always generating heat. Never, never gets a, a fresh air like the intake does. And so the heat generated is just astronomical. The exhaust valve gets it's up around 1,400, I repeat, 1,400 degrees. We have to use Inconel valves, or it will never work, even with stainless. Uh, it, it really, uh, it, it's again, it's the how much power you want to make, how much heat can you can you exchange to your cooling system, and we uh, cool the pistons with the oil. We we uh, run extra water up through the heads. We do all the things that constitute getting rid of that heat. That's basically what it's about. All right, now you touched on something a second ago. So basically, a short block, okay, is nothing more than an an engine, basically, but specifically short blocks, nothing more than an air pump. The trick is, like you said, is the heads. Now let's go back to Ford, okay, because you built some pretty bad motors back in the day. Those of us, those of us that are Ford guys, know that Ford, for whatever reason, and we're going to blame it on the Falcon and the Mustang because of the shock tower design. So basically, they had this tiny little engine bay, and they had to squeeze this motor in there and the big motor. But they also had to figure out how to get the exhaust out of there. So the way they designed it was is the fact that the exhaust manifolds basically kind of sit. The heads kind of go. Uh, you look at a Chevrolet exhaust, and it goes up straight out. And then in the exhaust and gone. Where a Ford is like it goes in the cylinder head, hits the ceiling of the the valve pocket or the exhaust pocket, and then ricochets down. So there's no flow. Right. So then later, I remember because I remember when when I looked at the Gap and Roush Mustang and the Gap and Roush Pinto Bean, and they had these raised port Cleveland heads because I used to race Clevelands in back in the 70s, and everybody was you know they were cutting the bottom of the head there just about a quarter of an inch above the exhaust, and then they were raised. Raised port was the hot setup. Now you, you the five O motors when they came out in the eighties, they were all raised ports. So, and then you look at the FE motor, which was your specialty. Okay, so you had your basically low riser, your medium riser, and your high riser. Then you had your tunnel ports and your tunnel wedges and all this other kind of stuff. And I'm not sure which motors you all raced because I know reading up here, you you raced pretty much uh, right across the board on the 427. So, give us your take on 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 this whole head design issue with Ford. Well, Ford, Ford, Ford uh, was a victim of um, uh, what I call the marketing system. The bigger is better was the marketing uh, concept back in the old days when you have these giant ports on these engines. Uh, when we were talking about the, the 69 Boss 429, they had a three-inch hole in it, and it, it was ridiculous. Uh, 
it was completely out of control. Uh, the uh, boss, uh, the uh, Cleveland 351 had a port that was could feed a 500 cubic inch engine. It was way too big. Um, boss 302, same thing, same head actually, and with a smaller displacement. Uh, every one of them, I had to reduce the ports by almost 100 percent. I mean, or 50 percent. Really? Uh, what I meant. Is, yeah, yeah, we had to reduce the ports at least fifty percent for the three, three, the three O twos. We actually put them about seven eighths fill. I mean, I mean, five eighths rather, five eighths fill up the bottom of the port with epoxy, and then raise the port just a little bit on the top, and then have it come in the free flow beautifully. Uh, when I raced the the uh, three O two in the in the, uh, the with this guy called um, Dale Filon, who was the uh, guy I went to work for for a long time. He was a, um, a big enthusiast for the, for the SCCA Trans Am series, which is very popular. And so it was a nostalgic uh, series at that time. And basically, he had a an engine. I took it out. I, I dynoed it at uh, two, 385 horsepower. Uh, I took the engine and redid it because you had a crazy kid putting it together at a speed shop with a giant lift cam and all this stuff, the totally terrible um, power band for road racing. He didn't have any mid-range whatsoever. And uh, I got it to go 555 horse. And I cut the ports down literally five-eighths of the size of what they were. And that's basically, uh, uh, that's what, that still volume was correct for that particular application. If you want, for example, I, I built it for a 75 or uh, 100 RPM type maximum RPM because we, we run two-hour endurance races as well as far as, uh, you know, regular races. And, and, and uh, you've you got to put a, 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 shall we say, a safety, safety factor in there at the time. I could have probably made around 600 horse if I took it up to about 883, 8400 RPM. I mean, redid it a little bit, but I didn't. So I, you got to, you got to, the, combi- the combination of the engine is critical. If I, if I took it up to 8,000, 8,500, I would have to have a bigger port because the, the, the real time is what that nobody understands is that at uh, 8,000 RPMs, it's only three milliseconds for the whole, this whole combustion chamber to fill and empty in three milliseconds it's just so the things are happening so quickly there's not enough real time in there to put it in with a small port so you got to have a bigger port but more importantly you got the piston speeds that are pulling that in the piston is what pulls the air in not not the atmosphere and and that's basically even though the atmosphere fills it it, the piston speed is actually part of the equation nobody uses today they 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 just don't understand that um you got to have the match between the Sectional port area, piston speed, displacement, and the RPMs that you're going to talk to. It's a whole different. It's a whole combination uh, uh, that has to be well, well looked at, and it's all basically a physics. It's all physics. It's all today. All the computer design guys, like I, 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 I uh, uh, got a, uh, uh, a so-called. A high efficiency engine that I, I put together. I got a patent on it. When, when I got the patent on it, 
I, I wound up talking to some really, really, really smart guys, the, 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 the physicists and the doctors of the mechanical engine, engine facets that I got to really rub shoulders with. I learned a lot from them. I got a lot of, lot of software from them, and, uh, and I got to be, shall we say, an expert in engine kinematics. And so I really learned a lot by uh, indulging in that, and, but I really to rub shoulders with these guys who were just fantastic. I got a lot of nice uh, stuff that I could forecast how much the piston weighs at uh, 8,000, 6,000, uh, uh, that kind of stuff, and how much load you're going to be carrying, what the air, air, air velocity is going to be at a certain RPM. It, 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 with that particular port cross-sectional area, it's all part of the physics that has to be done today to really get going. Now, most of that stuff is learned by hit and miss. Most of the stuff that everybody learned, NASCAR included, is by just running hundreds and hundreds of combinations, and they wound up with something that just make it bigger, smaller, whatever, and they, and they just honed in on it. But if you had to start all over again, basically, there's a, there's a physics uh, application that you can use for probably getting you right here where you got to go quickly. How about, okay, so let's talk about carburation and, uh, and uh, compression for a second. So factor those two in because one of the things we always used to hear is because you're talking about basically flow is essentially what you're talking about right now getting in getting it out so but you're saying that but in the old days everybody used to you know oh yeah you got to run an 850 carburetor oh you got to buy a run a 950 you got to run 1150 you got to run a 750 you know and you know an, an engine which is an air pump it only flows it can only take so much so it was very easy back in the day to over-carburate. But then they made up, well, you know, got to have more compression. And then there's cam, and there's lift, and there's duration, and there's overlap, and all this stuff. And I'm sure you take all this stuff in, because just like you said, science, physics, all this kind of stuff comes into play. Yeah. So where do you kind of like, uh, where do you start? Well, you got to know exactly uh, what you're talking about. First of all, you can't guess. you got to right. not guess. And, and so you've got you, to... Gotta know how much port area you got, how much your displacement area, and the restriction is the valve. The valve's a restriction. Okay. You, 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 there's no way you, you it, it's not the, not the head, it's the valve. And the valve has to feed the, it has to feed the uh, valve, and it has to do it with velocity, not with flow. That's the biggest lie there is right now. Oh, really? Head, my head flows better first. It's all bullshit. You've got to have velocity. you got to have velocity to fill up the uh, cylinder, the valve is closing. All the magic happens at the end of the cycle when the piston is coming down and starting to go up. The flow is still coming in, and you've got to close the valve at the same time the air is still trying to get into the, into the cylinder. Because if you only filled up this, if you took, if you magically took up the head and you opened up the, the atmosphere, you would have 14.7, uh, which is the atmosphere pressure. In the cylinder, you got to get it up to be one a hundred to ten, 120 uh, increased in in efficiency. So that means that you've got to get higher than the atmosphere. And the only way you can do that is with velocity. Velocity is converted into into uh, energy when it stops the inertia of the air trying to come down. This thing starts to build up pressure. That pressure goes over atmosphere. The valve closes at the same time. You get you're jamming into the cylinder, and the cylinder's coming up, and all that stuff is just bang. You've got that maximum fill of that particular application. It's 
that's that's how it works, and it's difficult to do. <laughs> what? All right, so let's go to the four twenty seven and the four twenty. Back in the day, because your big claim to fame yeah. is the you know when you when things really started going for you was a sixty and a half four twenty eight car when you got when you were part of the Ford Dry Grace team. So what set you apart? Now you and I if I remember correctly, your car was a four speed car too, right? Your your Cobra Jet. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah, yeah, sure. So in the day, I always used to make the argument because I'm a four speed guy too, so I love four hookers. I could say you really you can power shift at a four speed just as quick as an automatic. The only difference is automatic is consistent. Other than that, it's not faster. Okay, because if you can hammer, you know, if you can power shift, you can power shift, and 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 so. That was my theory back then. I know a lot of guys run automatics, but like I said, that's because of the thing, because of the consistency. But back in the day, when you were running your car, what made your car, what made your your what made you so much faster than everybody else, and consistently faster? Well, it was a, it was a one race deal. You understand that, right? I got the I got called I got I got called up from Ford, and they says, "Hey, would you want to go um, race uh, this new car we're coming out with?" It's called the Cobra Jet. And he says, uh, well, what, what, tell me about it. So he told me about the whole car and so forth and so on. And basically, he says, um, we looked in the mirror. This is the Ford, this is the Chuck Folger. He was the uh, Ford Jag race coordinator at the time. He says, we looked in the mirror and we says, we got to stop racing these stupid-ass funny cars. He says, because uh, we got we to gotta sell on Monday after we race on Sunday. We got nothing to sell. So we got to get a, a car that everybody would uh, would like to buy, and it was the Cobra Jet is what the, what the what the whole thing was about. And so he says uh, we're offering the, the, all the guys who are the four team members the chance to drive one of these cars. And um, you know, Don Don O'Don was there, uh, Gas Ronda had a car, Hubert Platt was there, all that stuff. They're, they're, we all have cars, and so we were all part of the four thing. And and uh, I knew it was the, the cars were actually prepped. By uh, um, Strop, which is Holman and Moody Extension, you know, uh, on the West Coast. Right, Bill Strop, and then Holman and Moody on the East Coast, right? Yeah, yeah. And so he did. Uh, he did the prep for the car, and I knew that they were uh, they'd be conservative in, in, the, in uh, the camshaft because they were uh, Baja racers and, and, and NASCAR racers. So I says, well, I'm going to bring a cam with me when I go out there. And so I brought, I got I called up Crane who was who was my sponsor at the time and I uh, uh, says I want the best that, you know you got and uh, and they whipped up a cam for me and I uh, I took it and I just kept it in my my shall we say option to use or not because uh, I didn't know if I was going to use it or not so we tested we tested for ten days with the car we had to get it set up the cars were not finished we had to lay get the suspension we got to do all the things that would uh, you know constitute taking a, a, a brand new car never been used before and make it a, a, a winner. Uh, so uh, I put the cam in. That's basically what it because I, I basically was just running just as fast as the other guys because they're all the same cars. We all have the same cars. So I said, I want to go faster. So I, I put the cam in. I picked up two-tenths of a second like that. Boom. So I had them covered. There was no problem me beating any one of them. And, 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 uh, because of that, that was the, the big bill that uh, changed me, gave me the advantage. Um, at that time, the guy um, Chuck Folger, I, I went up to the I went up to the last round. We we, we went through all these um, 
sea, a sea of uh, Mopars, it seemed like. It was just everybody had, had a Mopar, a couple of Chevrolets in there. And, and with the, I'm talking about the the uh, uh, Superstock Eliminator, not just the class. I won the class. That was easy. Uh, but the Eliminator was just a, 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 a cornucopia of different cars. Going through them all, and at the last run, Chuck Folger steps in, step, steps in and, he, and he says to me, he says, listen, my job is on the line. I thought, uh, you guy who was going to win this thing, he says, he put a little extra heat on me. He says, good luck. Right? So, so I, I won that. I won the Superstock Eliminator. And I also was the very first Superstock Eliminator, period, for Ford. So it was a triple home run for the new, brand new car. So the introduction was just a mega success. Uh, everybody uh, went out and bought a Cobra Jet as a result of it. Uh, Ford, Ford now is super stock, uh, uh, you know, potential to win. And they win, they win all the time. All Cobra Jets after that win all the time. I, n- I never used my car after uh, I used it at one time. I, I, I took it home. I, I put a, a balls out, t- uh, a porter, uh, I, I put an actual flat out, tunnel port in it when I took the super stock engine out and race uh, Bill Jenkins and, and all them guys for match races with it. It the same car. Okay. So, so we were, we were starting the pro stock thing at the time. And, and, uh, then that, that was it. That was, I, again, it's a one race ma- magic thing that takes place. That's all. Back in the day, now, so I was always a big fan of Superstock because it was the closest thing to a street car, just like you said. And, and then Pro Stock. I like Pro Stock, too, because it was just like a notch or two above. When you were racing against, you know, Sox and Martin, Grumpy, and, uh, and and even other guys in your class. I mean, you had, uh, like I said, Dick Brandon, you had Folger, you had Tasca, all you guys. Was there a, a lot of camaraderie on the Ford side? And it's like, okay, we're going to go knock these Mopar guys out and these Pontiac guys out and these Chevrolet guys out and stuff or was it just like uh was a camaraderie as a whole just in racing uh, yeah i think i think everybody got along beautifully i think everybody was uh uh i enjoyed it i i, I didn't sense no uh, animosity about anything about anybody you know and that was a it was a very good time it was a good time for me it was a it was a deal where um i need a part or like uh they I'd just go to each guy and find one that they had, and and they would always surrender to you. They would always help each other, and I did the same thing for them. <laughs> when we were up on the line, it's different. You know, you try to win, you try right. to win no matter what. But uh, when you're when you're when you're in the pit, it's a uh, you know you, you, you're you try to be a professional. Well, like one guy said, he says, "I really want you to run. I want you to. Fi- I want to help you fix your car because I want to get you out there on the line so I can beat you." You know that was that was a quote from a race car driver. Well, you know, you know, you don't want to win because the other guy uh, couldn't make it for some reason. You want you want to win legitimately. Yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, there's two other cars I'm going to talk about. I want to talk about the Boss 429 that you race, and then I want to talk about the camera powered uh, Maverick or Pino. It was a Maverick, wasn't it? I I have I have a both i had a 429 and a camera in in in, in the uh, maverick all right let's talk about the boss 429 now was that a ford car was that independently how did i how did that work there because the, the, the boss 429 was a 69 car that you got and you raced that and that one you campaigned very successfully as well right and on the 69 i always i never raced it with a 429 i raced it with a camera in it that oh really was the, the yeah the 429 
was a um, permit me because they wore, they widened up the uh, engine bay to put the camera in. So that's where I, where I, I, I got Oh, okay. Oh, it was a convenient way to get going real fast without having to do all that stuff to change it. Okay? That's all I did. I took the 429 out, put it in a corner, put it back in when I sold it, and, that, and that's basically I never raced it with, a, with a, anything but a camera. Okay, so you never raced an actual, you never actually raced the Boss 429 engine then? Oh, no, no, no. Okay, just the camera. Okay, and and then the Maverick, the Maverick was also a camera, right? That's correct. And then when I ran out of camera parts, because we're talking a couple lot of years now, then there was, there was no parts around. It was starting to, I'm losing heads and, and uh, uh, cams and all the things that goes with all the rock arms, all the little mini things that you start, you start to really can't get. Uh, you wind up um, finally wait, you know, using them all up. I broke a lot of heads because I broke a lot. I, I, I uh, uh, broke a lot of rods, aluminum rods. Basically, we didn't understand that you had to replace them on a, on a routine basis. And then I finally, finally figured that out. And then uh, put a couple pistons through the heads and so forth. <laughs> basically, the penalty that and run out of parts. So um, I, I basically went to a 429 by uh, default. I, I, I didn't want to, but that's basically what I did. So and, and it was a huge, huge, I mean, a huge disappointment to me. I mean, I, I, mean, I had the latest and greatest old stuff that everybody else was using, supposedly. And it was slower by far than, than my camera. You know? And um, so I says, well, I look, I'm look. i looking at it objectively, and there's the head that got this giant three-inch hole in the head, and, and the camera only has a two-and-an-eighth-inch hole in, in the head. Okay, so I start looking at this thing objectively, and I start filling them up with epoxy, and and I, I didn't do it all at once. I just start sneaking. I kept going faster, 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 and uh, and, and then I basically uh, the, the, nobody understands that the camera, the Kiwi heel of the camera, is that it's one point three rock arm ratio. You can only pick up the valve about six hundred sixty five to six hundred or six hundred. 60,000. That's it. We had two cams at the time. And so uh, I, with the 429, I was getting close to 800,000 at the end. I was, the cams kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger because we were running 1.7s, uh, 5s, the rock arm ratio. And so we could pick the valve up, which was bigger, or size were bigger on the 429. You got more valve to piston area. Everything was much better. And so I went way faster with the 429 as a result of that after I shut down the ports. Ah, okay. Now, as far as cameras, Ed Pink was kind of like the camera guy on the West Coast. Who was kind of like the camera guy, and who would have been your source for camera parts uh, on the eastern part of the United States? Or did everything come kind of through? Because Ed had kind of a deal with Ford or something, right? Yeah, he he, he had to deal with uh, Perdone. Perdone basically was, uh, was he, he worked with Perdone. Okay. The Ford deal. I, as a matter of fact, the first Ford Motorsports I went to, I was sitting at the table with Ed Pink and Don Perdone <laughs> at the Ford Motors Company. I didn't know, I didn't even know who they were, and and they didn't know who I was either. So that's, that was kind of cool. But uh, uh, yeah, we 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 actually sat together. At any rate. Uh, Ford is, was my supplier. I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I didn't get no parts from anybody else. Oh, okay. 
Let me ask you this now. You, 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 we always used to hear the rumors how, oh, well, Ford's out of racing, Chevrolet's out of racing, Chrysler's out of racing, all this stuff. But we all know that's not true. So we also hear the stories about, well, they had the backdoor deals, you know, where the guys, the Chevy boys got all their stuff, and then the Chrysler guys got all their stuff. How did that work with Ford? Was there any kind of like secret backdoor thing where you guys were getting any kind of experimental stuff or any kind of unusual stuff through uh, for, to support you guys in racing? Yeah. Yeah, they, they, um, what I think what they did was they, they closed the racing division down and then they stole money from the marketing department to, to, to they just gave them money out to the guys to go get their own stuff. You know what I mean? That's basically how they did it. Okay. And, and, and they sneak, they snuck a lot of, uh, uh, parts from the experimental garage and uh, some of the machines that were, uh, some of the parts that were not machined properly, they got machined and all that stuff, meaning they had cores, of uh, cams or they got cores of heads and they, but they weren't finished, you know, things like that. So they, they find out the guy who did it originally and they asked them to do it and so forth at Ford, you know? And so that stuff actually happens through the back door stuff. That's how they did it. And of course, Hamid Moody was very active in all that stuff as well. So they could do the same thing. Well, Al, we are just about up against the clock again, but here's what I want to do. Would you be willing to come back next week and we do part two? Because here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell some racing stories, and I know you got lots of stories. And you know, because these are the things that people love to hear, like, well, what was it like back in the day? You know, going, uh, you know, match racing against guys like Grumpy and 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 Socks and Martin and and people like that. And uh, so I'd like to invite you back next week if we could, and then you can tell us some more stories, and then we can get into some of the other stuff because the technical stuff is kind of interesting. You know, now the guys that like the gearheads, like myself, that wrenched on cars, I understand everything you're talking about, or pretty much everything. But I have a whole litany of questions. We didn't even get to yet, but I'd love to be able to talk about uh, some of the some of the really interesting stories, um, and then some of the people that you come across. You know, people that you had really good relationships with, people that you just were, man, I got to beat this guy, and and things like that. You know, because this is kind of inspirational stuff. Well, I, I got no problem with that. I basically, uh, uh, I, I, I just want to make sure that we talk about that. I'm going to be at the October first. Yes, the Nature for our fan club. At the, at the 13th annual Old Ford Power Show at the Nick, Nicholas Ford and Route 41 in, in Inverse. Okay. Can you uh, make sure that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so here's the deal. There's a guy by the name of Charlie Morris that wrote a book, okay? And it's and it's about you and about the Mustangs, the CJs, the Bat Car, the Airport, which we didn't get a chance to talk about that a little bit, and some of the other stuff that you do. So you will be at Nick Nicholas Ford in Enverness, Florida. Off That's 40, right, Bobby? Or 40? State Road 44, Gulf State to Road, Lake Highway. Yeah, Gulf to Lake Highway in Enverness, which is Citrus County. And, uh, and that. what are the dates again on that? Al? October 1st. October 1st. Okay. All right. And we will uh, help cross-promote that because you will be actually in Florida. Now, right now, you're out, you live where? In South Carolina, correct? That's right, right. Okay, good. Yeah. Well, Al, we are up against the clock. We're looking forward to it. Um, we can we can talk about some stuff in the book, too. So there's all kinds of stuff. But definitely October 1st at Nick Nicholas Ford in Inverness, Florida, off State Road 44, which is right downtown, which is, you know, Inverness is a cool little town. We go up there every once in a while, don't we, Bobby? And they have a uh, big car show there on the third Friday of every month. But, Al, I want to thank you very much for hanging out with us. We look forward to part two with Al Joniak, the legendary Ford drag 
racer, and he's going to share some really cool racing stories with us next week, aren't you, Al? It'd be my pleasure. All right, super. All right, Al, thank you very much. Take care, and uh, we'll be talking to you next week. Thank you very much. You got it. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, listeners, that is it. You heard it from the man himself. Now, this guy got really, really, really technical about engines. He figured out the uh, the, the head issue with Fords, and uh, they were either too big or too small. So, you know, an engine basically is an air pump. That's all it is. Okay, so it's all about matter of getting the, the, uh, the fuel and air in and out of the motor, and that's how you go fast. And it doesn't matter whether it's a Ford Chevrolet or or Pontiac, or Chrysler, or Porsche, or Mercedes, or Toyota, or whatever. They're all the same. But anyway, you guys heard it here. If you want to listen to some of the most legendary and fascinating names in motorsports, be sure to tune in to Nostalgic Radio Cars every Tuesday between 7 and 8 p.m. on the Tantalk Radio Network, right here in downtown Clearwater. And we will definitely get these conversations going, because these are legends. These are the guys that were around back in the day. This is These are the pioneers that made racing what it is today. Anyway, on that note, I want to see you guys at some of the car shows. There's a lot of stuff. Weather's getting nice again, so you can start driving again. Get that air conditioning working in your cars. And hope to see you at some of the car shows. In the meantime, everybody stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. WTAN, Clearwater, FM 106.1, WDCF, Dade City, FM 102.3, WZHR, Zephyr Hills, FM 104.3. Listen.